there, pretties. It's Chrissy. And it's Heather. And a really sweet guy with a deep voice to give you a... Uh, oh, yes. Just a quick warning. Yes, the Chrissy and Heather show contains elements of real life, nostalgia, silliness, deep thinking, and nonsense. If you're averse to any of these ingredients, the Chrissy and Heather show may not be for you. So talk to your doctor and all your friends about this program. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Chrissy and Heather show after being at Podfest all weekend. I know. I had such a bonding weekend with you. It was beautiful. It was. It was really wonderful. And now we're back um, energized and ready to take all the things that we learned at Podcast, um, sorry, Podfest um, into our podcast. And um, so before we get into today's show, I do have a little bit of housekeeping. Come back later, please. Housekeeping. Okay, so when we were at PodFest, we learned a lot of things that we want to implement into our podcast. And I especially have some shout outs for the cool people that we met. Yeah, before you do your shout outs, I want people to understand because a lot of people are like PodFest. They thought we were at like a concert or a party or something and I'm like it's like a conference like we were learning things there was yeah. it, it was a lot of fun and we probably made it look like a lot of fun but it, it is fun but it's it's a functional right. place to learn things it wasn't just it wasn't like a festival like out in the you know out in the field yeah you know and that, I think that's what some people thought we were doing so to answer my mom's questions yes we were working the whole time we were not just goofing around yeah mom. anybody who follows us on social media will um go will know that we had a great time mm-hmm. um but we also met some great people who are going to be really really helpful in help us being able to create a great show. Um, so I really want to say thanks to Chris for organizing PodFest in the first place and to Jessica for keeping us laughing with all of her great announcements. Yes. To Travis for um, always stopping every time he saw us in the hall and remembering mm-hmm. that we were people that he needed to talk to and we wanted to talk to. Luke for being the first person Luke that we met. Was cool. Luke, and we're going to be calling you. I got your cell number uh-huh. and I'm going to call you, boy. Luke is awesome. He is out of Houston. Um, he has created a podcast network out there. He produces 10 shows out there and he gave us some real time feedback, which was really appreciated. Um, also to Latasha, who Latasha. was so much fun to hang out with. And I can't wait to listen to her podcast. And then to Sarah. I, I hope that there's some evidence of her doing the karaoke because we were too I hope tired so too. and we left. Yeah. So I hope we can find that. And Sarah, who is our new best friend, kindred spirit BFF that we really Sarah. connected with. So thanks, guys, for helping to make PodFest so helpful for us. And we're looking forward to taking everything that we've learned and putting it into place. And now we're really excited today because we have a special guest with us. Woohoo! So we've been bouncing around this topic for a few episodes here and there. And today we're really going to get into it because, and I'll just tell you the reason why I invited my friend Regina to come on this show and talk with us about this subject is because I um, have seen products advertised that give me cause to pause here's an example a a bottle that looks like sunscreen but it actually holds alcohol okay Mm -hmm. um bracelet that actually holds alcohol um a purse that has a spigot right in the bottom for your alcohol and we laugh 
because those are clever, but it's also not cool. And the reason why Regina is the great greatest person to have on the show about this is because um, she has a, a really inspiring story um, that is sobering to <laughs> use, um, a, to use a, a key word. I first met Regina um, through running. I met Regina on a run, um, and I found out that she's a personal trainer. She's a group fitness instructor. She's a running coach. Um, she inspires a lot of people online to live their healthiest life. Um, you know, she does a lot of great things. We will put her bio up so that you can go and find her online and see what she's up to. She's also a mom um, for two boys, 17 in high school, one graduating from college soon. She's been married to her soulmate for 13 years. I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> And that's what, and I thought that's what Regina was all about. And then I saw some other things that she would talk about online that made me realize that, that she's got a story to tell. And it's one that other people need to hear because it's something that people don't often have the bravery to talk about. And uh, so we're just going to get into it. So welcome, Regina. Hi, Chrissy and Heather. Hi, Regina. Like I said, when we were getting set up today, I am very excited to hear your story. And I feel a lot of parallels with mine. And I can't wait to get into it with you. Let's go. Let's get into it. So um, give our listeners a brief version of the story that you often share online. Um, I mean, I can start <laughs> from the very beginning of probably my high school years where I didn't fit. I felt like I didn't fit in. Um, <clears throat> and I always tried to fit in. And so um, I was introduced to alcohol. I mean, like most teenagers, like 16, 17 years old. And honestly, that first introduction was, opened a world for me of being able to fit in with others. And that's kind of how it started. Um, you know, I don't think it got serious until, well, the year before I turned 21, um, I lived, so back it up, I lived in Daleville, Alabama, which is right next to Fort Rucker, mm -hmm. where all the fly boys come in every mm -hmm. six weeks. Mm -hmm. I was 20, 19, 20 years old. They were the same age, and they had the officers club. Uh -oh. And there was about a group of four or five of us girls. Um, <laughs> we literally... You could jump the fence from the pool and get in the back door and you were in the club and you looked like everyone else. Like, mm -hmm. you you know, we, we weren't carded and um, that started uh, a lot of the drinking and I and then and actually. I knew right away I was a blackout drinker. I, um, I couldn't have enough. Like I, there was no stopping. Heather and I had a conversation about blackout drinking the other day. And have you read the book blackout? Mm -mm. Oh, it's a great, great book. Well, let's put it in the show yeah, notes. It's really, really good. Um, but in that book, they did some research and they found that 
most people are not blackout drinkers. Mm. And as a blackout drinker myself, that was a real thing for me to learn that, you know, 10 to 15% of people who drink alcohol are blackout drinkers like us. Mm. And Heather asked me, what's that like? And I'm like, it's like, it's 930 and you are having a drink with a friend and then you wake up and it's the next morning. And Heather's like, well, because you passed out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. because you continued to party until 230 in the morning and you try to piece together what maybe happened. And for me, I want to hear about you. But for me, I thought that I like physically looked like a different person during that time. Oh, yes. I thought that people could tell that. I was blacked out. No. And people cannot tell at no. all. But you have no awareness? No awareness. Doing. No memory. There, there, I can't count on my hands the number of times that I lost actual time. Like, you know, I'll look at my watch. It's 10 o'clock. And then the next time I'm awake, all right, I'm physically, I feel like I'm physically awake. It's six o'clock in the morning. I'm like looking around at where I'm at, at a strange dude's house or something looking mm-hmm. for my car mm-hmm. outside and it happened a lot mm-hmm. um but I mean I'll be honest I didn't even I didn't think anything about it because that's just how I it was like I needed more and more mm-hmm. I, one wasn't enough six wasn't enough um uh so about age 22, I was married to my children's father, um, my children now. Um, he was in the military. Um, of course, again, I told you I was out at um, Fort Rucker with the Flyboys um, and where they went through flight school and they know how to party. So mm-hmm. we get married and that is our life. Like they are gone and then when they're back we drink we play cards but I felt like I had to drink all the guys under the table Mm -hmm. every single time that was just my mentality Mm -hmm. that was just where I was I could never like and it caused a lot of rift in our um, marriage and um, but I continued to do it I continued and continued and continued yeah, you, you want to go toe to toe. You you mm-hmm. want to you know like it's some kind of like empowerment thing. Like I yes. can psh, I can throw back like you who weighs a hundred pounds more than I do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think understand especially that. when you're little like us mm-hmm. and you you're always trying to prove that that you're you're not just a little girl. Yeah. Um, you're big too. Yeah. And <laughs> let me show you how tough I am. Yeah. Yeah. When did you know that you had a problem? Um, we can fast forward. Let's see. I'm trying to remember what year that was. It says in 91, 2000. Let's fast forward to 2010. Okay. Um, at that point I had been married to my, I had been married to my, um, my boy's father, I think 10 years stationed in Hawaii for six years. We were still in Hawaii and I got my first DUI on Mm. mother's day. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's strange. You know, it's strange to say, yeah, my, my first DUI wasn't on a mother's day. 
Um, that implies there was more than one. We 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 were fighting at, at this point in our marriage. We fought a lot, um, not only about me drinking, but other things. Um, so, um, yeah, I decided. <laughs> The great mom would leave and have a drink with my friend. Um, and I ended up getting arrested because I I did a, a wrong turn somewhere. And so um, they arrested me for DUI. And I called and my husband at the time said, uh, you can sit there. I'm not going to come pick you up. Wow. So I think I stayed there probably four or five hours and then he came and got me um and then of course i had to do the being um an officer's wife commissioned officer's wife at the time um i had to go through like this little program and i actually had to do it with other um military people and i was the only wife in there and it was kind of weird but um um you know that was part of my punishment and then pays the fines. Um, now, did you, you said that that's when you started to realize you had a problem, but you also alluded a little earlier that blackout drinking just seemed normal. It seemed like a part of your life. It was a, a big part of your life. So was this a wake-up call moment, or was this the first time that you were kind of like, mm, maybe? That was my first time. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, there are more. Um, that's not the end of my story, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that was the first time. And that was, I, I blacked out on that drive. Mm. So, um, anyway, we we were there in Hawaii maybe six more months. And we're coming back. Um, and we ended up back in Alabama. And at this point in time, um, I I was ready to leave the marriage, um, and it was hard because we had two children, two children under the age of five, six. One was three, one was seven. So seven and three, um, and. I I had been preparing to leave for a while, but the way my the military hu husband that mm -hmm. he was um, voiced that if I left, I would have to leave on my own and not take the children. Mm. Oh wow! Um, there was some um, there wasn't physical abuse, but there was some mental abuse mm -hmm. in that relationship, and that's kind of can tell you um and so I had to make that hard decision um but I knew it was the right decision decision and my in my thought process was after I leave I'll get my stuff together and I'll get the kids back mm -hmm. um unfortunately that never did happen but um so we fast forward a little bit we were divorced um, in 2003 or four. Um, My drinking was just gearing up then. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas oh, just getting started. Hawaii was, those years in Hawaii were whew, heavy, heavy, heavy. Um, 
So we were in Alabama, um, divorced. He found someone. Uh, at this point, we were probably about 30 miles from each other. So it was great. You know, I had visitation. They lived with him. Um, and so everything was fine. I mean, to see the kids, but yet we hate each other. We still hate each other. But um, <laughs> what did what did your drinking look like when you left that household? Did you continue to drink on your own or were you using that time to... I think that for me, ending my marriage was a trigger for drinking more. It was a time where I really went through some very hard moments. And it was the first time I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have someone to call. I mean, I I never got arrested. But if I had, I would have had to call a friend during that time. I'd always had somebody to scoop me off the floor and take me home at the end of the night. And this was the first time that I didn't when I was going through that period of time. Oh, to say that when we were in Hawaii, I did a lot, a lot of drinking. I most definitely believe went where I wanted to try to control it. It got worse. It got worse. There was a time where I was trying, and and then he remarried and moved um, to Tampa, and it got worse. Mm. And um, so. And this is uh, this is an odd part of the story, but this is how it worked. I actually, um, before he got married, remarried, and moved to Tampa, I actually got remarried, um, and so we were married two years before my ex got remarried and moved mm-hmm. to Tampa. Um, I was and still drinking hard, and but my new husband was loving me through it. He was really, God bless him. You know, he was an enabler, um, and I don't know if people know what enablers are, mm-hmm. but basically, you're trying to help that person, but you're making it worse. Mm-hmm. Whereas you should really just kind of step back Mm -hmm. and let them do their thing until it gets yeah it's 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 actually a a great thing for someone who's having a problem with alcohol or with any other substance sometimes the best way to love them is to leave them right Mm -hmm. yeah what Um, did you do to to get started on getting better um I would have to go to having my third DUI. Okay. That was the wake up call? That was it. I, well, when my ex got married, moved to Tampa, I I literally fell apart. I told my husband at the time, I can't be away from my kids. He helped me move to Tampa. I lived there for four months and got two DUIs. Wow. Um, the last one was the wake up call. We even stayed married. My God, my wonderful husband stayed married to me. He knew for some reason God needed me. He needed to be in my life. My second DUI, I had to spend 14 days in Tampa jail because it was over 4th of July holiday. And the judges were like, nobody's getting out. 
for at least 10 days and I had to stay 14 and that was literally um yeah I gave my life over to Jesus I I you hit rock bottom that was it that was it so what did you do when you got out yeah what was different my uh what was different was my ex had threatened uh to take the children completely away from me and I could never see them again Mm. And so that became my motivator. To this day, they are my motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband picked me up from jail, and and I told him, I said, I don't, I do not want to drink anymore. He said, and he's not a big drinker. He said, I will not drink anymore either. Mm-hmm. And so um, from that day forward, I did, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of laugh about it because he told me last night, actually, we had a conversation. He's like, you are literally the poster child for recovery. And I'm like, I don't want to say that. I just knew that if I didn't do these things, I would lose my children. I would either go back to jail or I was going to die. Regina, um, H- Heather, I hate to hijack this, but I have to ask this question. Um you said you have sons, two boys, 17 and 22, 22. So they're coming into that age where drinking can become or perhaps has already become a part of their life. How are you? How do you view it differently? Raising children? My children are younger. My children are 10 and 12. My children watching me drink. They're like, we never want to drink. But I'm not to that point yet where perhaps they start to explore and want to do that. And I have nieces and nephews who are in the age range of your sons now and watching them try to learn their way with alcohol and watching some of those struggles that to me seemed normal. Like my college, I thought was totally normal. Their college, I'm sure that they think is totally a normal experience, but not everybody was as drunk as perhaps my family line likes to get, you know, in, in uh, the college setting and, how are you parenting differently, I guess? Well, I'll tell you. Um, so from the time I picked up my first chip, that 24-hour chip in 2010, July 5th, 2010, every year thereafter, both of them have been with me. We are open and on. I, I was adamant about them coming to the meetings, being I'm open and about everything that I've done now not so much earlier because they were younger Um, it's been 10 years so just in the last couple of years maybe year and a half since they've gotten older have I really talked about the things that I did and you know um, because I want them to be aware like you know this is bad like you know and I did this and this you know and so um, it's every year and I remind them that they are part of me Mm -hmm. and they have my genes Mm -hmm. and I can tell you a hundred percent my oldest one is me but a boy Mm -hmm. Um, his two his first two years of college I almost turned completely gray um as you can see i have gray hair now but i was deathly concerned about him and he did um experiment with some things and went through some things and i know i know as a parent you have to let 
go and let them experience these things. But as an alcoholic in recovery with a child who potentially can also be an addict, I had to share those ugly things. Um, and I was in uh, ugly things, not just from alcohol, but other substances. Prior, I, I joke that I've lived about three or four different lives. Um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, I have just talked to them. Um, my oldest, uh, he is aware. Um, and he... You know, do I say he's a normal drinker? What's a normal drinker? Um, he knows. He knows. He's 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 seen me, so I think he's more aware about he, him drinking. Now, the youngest one, seventeen, has admitted to me that um, he has tried alcohol, but he just doesn't like it. Um, there are other substances that he they they both do, you know, and um, but. But we talk. Mm -hmm. I am open and honest about all of that. I think that's an important part of helping them identify problems early if problems arise. And, you know, I think that hearing other people's stories, we can't always learn without an actual experience. But I think that sharing what has happened to you is the best way to educate younger people than us who do share our genetics and you know who may have a propensity toward if you start to use alcohol or other substances you may be a person who overuses those substances something that we talk about a lot on this show especially relating to parenting is open communication with our kids without mm -hmm. without shame and without holding back about the reality of the world that we live in um, and you know, we both really want our kids to know that they can come and talk to us about anything and you know, I can't guarantee that there aren't consequences for your behavior but I'm never going to be mad at you for being honest with me you know and I'll never be ashamed of you for being honest with me correct you know yeah. and there has to be a safe place to come you know and 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 also being able to your kids to be able to see you as an imperfect person and know that you've also made you know decisions that you that you re regret and would do differently yeah absolutely i mean i grew up not talking i was the youngest of four everyone had had already moved out and um my parents just didn't talk to me it was like you know, and I swore that um, it was not going to be like that when I had children. Like I wanted to be not their best friend, but let them know that it was safe and we would talk through things. Yeah. And it's taken years um, again because they don't live with me. They live with their dad. And so that can be difficult at times. Um, but I just I just share my you know, whatever I think is um, relevant at this, you know, for the, any situation um, that they have going on. And I really believe that as they have gotten older, our relationship has just like, it, it, it's a hundred times yeah. better than it ever has been. Now, earlier when I was talking about the different things that I see out on the marketplace as, as uh. ways to to conceal alcohol in your life and you know and i we see plenty of illusions 
or outright descriptions on online of how alcohol is a coping mechanism for so many people and sometimes it's a joke and sometimes it's not I know I feel uncomfortable when I see so many references to mommy's juice box or you know this might be wine or you know those references and you were nodding when I was talking about that and so I wonder what's your perspective when you see those things it makes me angry because we're they are literally turning women to drinking because to solve things or to deal with your children or to deal with stress. And we, we should not be doing that. It's, it makes, it's honestly, it makes me sick. It makes me feel angry also. And, and also concerned. You know, I remember having, um, you know, a few years ago when my oldest son was um was younger and he was like in first or second grade and i it was kind of when that mommy drinking culture was just starting to get started and people would be posting pictures of their glass of wine and joking about you know how many glasses of wine or what type of wine went with what type of homework i remember seeing like a pairing chart for wine with homework and that was a light bulb for me because i had recently joked that there was a I like there was a, a certain amount of wine that was needed to read certain books with my kid, you know, because he was an emerging reader and you know it's yeah. difficult. And I'll be like, if you want to read Froggy Goes to School, that's going to be <laughs> that's a, that's a two glass that's a, that's a two book glass. there. Yeah. And I was kidding, but I also kind of wasn't kidding. Like you know, I noticed a pattern of time for homework. Okay, I need to I need to chill here, and that was the first thing that my brain went to as this is going to help me deal with this. And I was not okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get to see it and turn it around. Mm -hmm. But, but seeing, seeing so many references to it in such a casual way, mm -hmm. I saw the normalization of secret drinking. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and that was a problem for mm -hmm. me. I think there's a fine line. So Regina, I'm a little bit different than you in that I never, I, I didn't do a 12 step program. I, I just decided one day I didn't have whatever physiologically or psychologically in me made me dependent on drinking. When I decided not to drink anymore, I never missed it. I can still go to bars. I can have a beer once in a while. Like I, and and I know a lot of people can't, but I can. And when Heather and I were at PodFest the other day, we went to a Japanese restaurant and we decided to get sake. And I was pouring the sake and Heather said, I want to take a picture of it. And I said, you cannot post this because I don't like to glorify an alcohol culture. You know, and I said, I don't, I don't want you to post this. And it's a fine line between secret drinking and not promoting an alcohol culture you know like it's not a secret look i'm telling everybody hey everybody i had a glass of sake i had a little you know shot cup of sake and that's something that i can do and that i did responsibly but i don't want to glorify that to other people i don't want to put this thing on it like end of the day celebrating with a sake or such a stressful afternoon let me grab you know a drink i i don't i don't condone that and I, I i can't get behind that culture i just can't get behind that culture yeah i definitely notice um 
more often when I have the idea. You know, my husband and I are beer people. We really enjoy different types of beer. And when we try a new beer, we'll take a picture of the bottle so that we can, uh, of the label, so that we can go into our beer app and uh-huh. like rate it because we're in this rate beer. Yes. And then we'll like write down, you know, what we thought about it and stuff like that. And and sometimes I'll take a picture of our beer and I'll post it, you know, on online. And then I do think it, I think of it differently now. Yeah. You know, and, and I kind of wonder, am I feeding into a culture that I don't want to be part of? We feel like that's happening in a responsible context, but I don't want to feed the fuel for somebody for whom it might not be right. responsible. Sometimes I feel like, uh, I remember I was up in Chicago out on a boat and I got like a ginger ale with a splash of pineapple and a couple cherries in the top and took a picture of me with my cup, you know, and I posted it and I felt like I needed to say, this is not alcohol. And sometimes I post pictures of like my mocktails and I, and I, I'm writing like you can have a pretty drink because I think for me something that I missed was an attractive drink like yeah. something that you know like that you're not standing there holding a can of coke or whatever. Yeah. I missed like an attractive and so I'll be like you can make this pretty drink like yeah. I've almost become an advocate for you can have something that makes you feel good and that has some style or that has yeah. some fizz or that whatever <laughs> that isn't gonna make you forget that you were here yeah that's what fizzy water became for me you know i remember you know kind of like coming out of the holidays and being like okay i i need to get too much enough celebrating but you still kind of get into that routine of having something in the evening and that's what like Lacroix came into my life as this is not just plain water you know but it's also you know it's not alcoholic and And so put it in a wine glass yeah and nobody questions and I remember being at Mardi Gras parades and having you know there's so much pressure to drink and I would get my beer bottle and fill it up with water and then people would stop offering me a drink yes yeah yeah I wonder so how well how long have you been sober um, July 5th of this year will be 10 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. And I wonder, like how Chrissy mentioned, you know, like what sobriety is to her, you know, like what sober means to her. She can have a drink once in a while and, and still feel like she's sober. What does sobriety mean to you? Um, sobriety for me is I can never have a drink ever again. Um, because, and I, I, and it's a joke. I say um, alcohol makes me break out in cuffs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. Um, m- more than often, <laughs> um, there's just no. I, I, I don't. I don't see an end when I drink. Um, and my my boys and my husband are the world to me. And um, I cannot imagine my life any different and and some people don't talk about their sobriety I'm on the other I'm completely opposite I feel like the more I talk about it number one I'm holding myself accountable because if you go out and see me at a function and I have a drink in my hand you better be like Regina what is going on with you um a number two there are people out there, and this has happened to me over the years, many, many times, that I've shared with them 
about being in recovery and about some of the things. And they open up to me mm-hmm. um, just like, oh, I have a sister. Or, oh, I have a cousin. Or, oh, I've thought about it. And, um, you know, that that is what keeps me sober. Mm-hmm. Helping others. If, Absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. if I can help one person or maybe help one person have that light switch go off on their head in their head thinking well maybe that is me um then maybe they'll reach out for more help well that's why i really wanted you to come on this show and talk about this because i see those messages from people once in a while who are posting like it's my 10-year anniversary of of being sober or you know whatever their milestone is and and the first thing that i think of is wow that is a strong person that is a strong person who I admire. And then also, um, I feel like that there's somebody who needs to see that on that day. And I wonder, you know, there are there are people listening to this show right now who are thinking, that's me. I, that's me. What do you say to them? What's your message to them? Well, I mean, if you really feel that way, you know, there is hope. There is a solution. And I, I can help you find that solution. Um, I I do attend alcoholics anonymous meetings. Meeting, I have a sponsor, and but that's not for everyone. So everyone is different. But um, the solution is the same. Um, and just um, talk to someone. You know, see where you're at, and you know. If you feel like alcohol is taking over your life, then you probably need to talk to someone. Yeah. I think that there is so much power in the statement, I don't drink. Like that was that was one of the first things that I found. And like I can have a, a sake with you, but if I was at a party, you were talking about the pressures to drink, Heather. And if I was at a party, I would not grab a glass of wine. I would not, um, if when the waiter walks over at the beginning of the night, I say, I don't drink. And that makes people stop asking you continually. Like if you say, yes, I'll have a glass of wine, then they're going to keep asking you, do you want another glass of wine? Do you want another glass of wine? What can I bring you? You know, what do you, what, what's, it, what's in your cup? So I think that that power of that statement, I don't drink, is... I mean, it feels great and you don't know how wonderful that statement can make you feel until you utilize it. You know? It's funny and that you it. say that because my next question and kind of the way that I want to wrap up this conversation is ending on the note of what is awesome about being sober? Like what is empowering? Where do you find strength? What's the best part of not drinking? Because I think that for people who are listening to this and thinking, maybe I need to, to get help, tell them how great it, like, what is the, what is the best part for you? Honestly, the best part is I am the healthiest and have never felt better um, just in my skin than I do today. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, um, the best part is just being present. I am present everywhere I go. Um, things that may may not before just put me in awe 
I mean, I for years I missed so many awesome things and today I can experience them. I can experience them with open wide eyes um, and my ears and um, I can stand up for myself. I think when I when I was drinking, I thought I was standing up for myself. Um, I really wasn't. No one took me seriously. I think the tag to that, at least for me, is you can still do all the things that you thought alcohol was emboldening to do. You can sing karaoke and have a great time and you can remember it. Yes. You can go out with your friends and be silly. You can be just as silly. You can be just as bold. You can be that person that you really are. And you don't need a veil of alcoholic haze to still do those things and you enjoy them more. Yeah. Truly, truly do I promise yeah and I thought it was the alcohol that made me funny I always wanted to be the center of attention and then when I quit drinking I'm like man I'm gonna be so boring nope I am still center of attention I love it I'm like you know nothing has changed I'm just I'm I'm a better version of me and people secret top secret the sex is better <laughs> it's better you know what's going on oh man it's so great and you can remember it i promise yes you can talk remember. about it the next yeah. day mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it's just fine <laughs> regina thank you so much for coming and being so vulnerable and open and sharing willing to share your story and your insights I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you for being here. Thanks. And friends, if you've heard part of yourself in this story, um, if if you've heard part of somebody who's who's important to you in this story, um, the reason why we're talking about it is because it's a real thing. And it can be difficult to come to the place where you're ready to do something about it. But if you need help, we're here to help you. And, and even if it's just cheering you on and pointing you in, you know, connecting you with somebody who can help. Um, but we love you guys and we want you to be present. We want you to create memories that you're proud of and that you remember and, um, and to really be able to live your life. So reach out, let us know if we can be helpful to you in any way. And until then, Until next time. Bye. Deep voice guy, how'd we do? I think you ladies did absolutely fabulous. And for those of you looking to increase your dosage, make sure to connect with The Chrissy and Heather Show on Facebook and Instagram.